We have some late breaking news here, Dial, don't we? Oh, some big time news. This was just. This they, is definitely tech news here. This just popped up on the cast yeah. here. Go ahead, man. Let, break oh, it for us. Who, who added this? I didn't add this. <laughs> don't don't dump it on me. <laughs> it was Brent's news, actually. Yeah, Larry throw King. him on the spot. Larry King. Larry King. You know, seventh wife. He's going to divorce. Oh my God, man! I'm heartbroken. How old was this one? <laughs> <laughs> How oh much boy. did she get? <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode 46 of the Coffee and Codecast. We are a tech podcast where we talk about neither coffee or code. I'm Kyle Johnson. I'm Mike Sheehan. I'm very excited to welcome a guest on the show today. He's a senior advisor at CoinMe, a leading blockchain fintech company headquartered here in Seattle, Washington. CoinMe has the world's largest Bitcoin kiosk network in the world, and their services make it simple to buy and sell cryptocurrency. Sharing his thoughts on crypto and why you should consider an investment, please welcome to the cast, Brent Lyman. Welcome, Brent. Welcome. Thank you, guys. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Awesome. Really nice to have you here, man. We've been talking about this for a few months now, so I don't know. We had a few people asking us about crypto and Bitcoin, and I said, well, it's a good time to bring on the Lyman. I love it. <laughs> Let's get started. Let's do it. We have some late breaking news here, Dial, don't we? Oh, some big time news. This was just. This they, is definitely tech news here. This just popped up on the cast yeah. here. Go ahead, man. Let, break oh, it for us. Who, who added this? I didn't add this. <laughs> don't don't dump it on me. <laughs> it was Brent's news, actually. Yeah, Larry throw King. him on the spot. Larry King. Larry King. You know, seventh wife. He's going to divorce. Oh my god, man. I'm heartbroken. How old was this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Did she get? <laughs> well, he's got to be running out of money now, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know. He's gambling in the wind all the time. So and he yeah. practically lives there. Yeah. I ran into him quite a few years just going to the sports books. So. Is he really there a lot? Oh, yeah. He rolls in, cane in hand, crutching down. Wow. He's got front row seat. He's got all the games on NFL Sunday. Damn. Who knows what he's betting, but he <laughs> loves him some sport book. Well, uh, you know, he probably needs to do all he can to really keep that alimony going. I don't, I don't know how many children he has. Does he have a lot of kids? I don't know. I have no idea. Not a Larry King aficionado over here. I don't pay too much attention to Larry King these days. It's been a while. Well, we this wish is him. It's really his... not about coffee or code, is it? Not at all. That's <laughs> that's the whole premise of our show here, the Coffee Code Cast. We reel yeah. them in, thinking we're going to talk about these fascinating topics, <laughs> and we really just copycat whatever's on CNN.com. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hang on, let me refresh the page here. I think we got some new news coming in right now. <laughs> Breaking news on the cast. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump not going to Denmark. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. That sounds great. <laughs> well, we're recording I, a little early tonight, right? Because I'm going to be leaving town. So another Tuesday edition of the yeah, cast. Yeah, we're doing a day early. You're, we have some travel conflicts. A lot of travel conflicts lately. But uh, hey, we were able to get Brent to reschedule uh, with us on Tuesday. And so I think uh, we're going to roll with it. So 46 episodes. Here we are. And, uh, yeah, we have some follow-up you want to talk about here. Larry has five kids. Thanks, Lester. De the old bagels on the uh, chat chat box over here. Five kids. Five kids. Yeah, that's a lot of child support. 
I'd be going to the casino too. <laughs> so you mean he's got more alimony than child support? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, it's just a big fucking number. He probably just doesn't even get. He probably gets like twenty bucks to go to the casino. Like they give him an allowance. Like <laughs> they've got a credit line for him. Yeah, here you go, Larry. Like don't spend it all in one place, dude. <laughs> These are really good, by the way. We decided to step out a little bit of our comfort zone and crack open some Rubens Pilsner today. Yeah, I apologize to uh, Coors, who's normally not a sponsor of the show, but yeah, but it's free upstairs in the uh, tech lounge. So, you know, we drink what we can get our hands on, but mm-hmm. we didn't have any. Somebody that I, I won't mention names, Dustin Fletcher, uh, has been slacking off on the reorder of the beer up there. So now we have to go down the store and buy our own. It's kind of a little sad. It's disappointing for sure. Well, let's get right into the news, shall we? We have a little bit of follow up on the uh, Capital One hacker. Yeah, your friend. Yeah, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> tried to befriend this person and uh wasn't such a good friend you heard about the story right i know well yeah i know that yeah, story. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that i crypto land pretty good oh i want to hear more about that i guess well it's all about privacy you know we don't have any period i mean if you look at information that is stolen over the years equifax you know comes to mind and they're they're trying to pay that back and mo- most likely the court settlement they're not even going to pay back you know they've they allocated 125 dollars per person but uh, so many people jumped on that $125 that they don't even have the money allocated for it. So we'll see what happens there. But here's another hack. Here's another, you know, your information, your password, your who knows what, because you used at Capital One as a credit card is out there. I mean, your spending habits, et cetera. So we can continue to go on and on. I mean, these have been redundant over the past years. And this is why, in my opinion, decentralization is a uh, important topic that we need to look at and examine and and see if we can better and that's what that's that's a piece of what bitcoin is you know it's it's a it's a decentralized entity and it's a trust and 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 a value on top of it and it's a lot of things and it's hard to you know you can't just sum it up in one sentence by any means but more importantly it's it's about privacy and and how how can we advance that as society and and make that better for humanity going forward because Right now, uh, we are at the mercy of these centralized corporations and how they securitize our data and how we, you know, what we do about that moving forward. Yeah, and I know just like from a security standpoint, even with in general technology, you always assume the worst. You know, you always assume that there's a vulnerability or that it could be accessed. And when you have 800 million records or however many hundreds of millions of records in a vault, you have to assume that that's only so secure that it's going to get breached at some point. Not a matter of if, but when, right? Um, and I think that's an interesting piece that we should really talk about is that with with Bitcoin, you, that, that problem doesn't even exist, really. Like, you don't have that no, uh, so, cash pile. Yeah, so when you look at Bitcoin, and, and look, it, it gets explained a lot of ways. It's going to attack fiat. It's a better currency. It's an asset. It's a store of value. It's a medium of exchange. It's a lot of things. It's a network. It's a lot of things, and that's, that's why it's really hard to get your head around what is Bitcoin. But if you understand that Bitcoin's an invention, and what it did is it, that there's something called the, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Byzantine General's Problem, and that's what it solved. And the fact is that, that Mike and I can exchange value without a central party between us verifying that transaction. It's just code. Literally, what you, your podcast is about, coffee and co- the, the second half, 
is the code verifies it. The miners in the system verify that transaction. So now we no longer need a centralized authority like a credit card company, Capital One, a bank, Bank of America, whatever, whoever it is. We don't need that centralized authority to verify that transaction. We don't have to use PayPal. We don't have to use Venmo. Oh, you're on PayPal. I'm on Venmo. Great. How do we exchange money? We have to both be on that central entity. If we have the same asset, we can exchange it and let the computer or the code do the actual uh, transaction settlement piece of it. And that's, that's the key is, is by solving that, now we've created a trust and we've created trust through code. Yeah. So how far can we take this over the next, you know, it's, it's, Bitcoin's been in existence for 10 years, just over 10 years. What does the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years look like beyond the price speculation? You know, be, you know, basically, you know, there's a lot of numbers that, you know, Draper throws out 250,000, Novgratz throws out, you know, a million dollars. You've got Pomp throwing out $100,000 by the end. Of, you know, there's a lot of people that throw out big numbers. Draper's very bullish on it because I've seen him at the FinTech conference just going nuts, man. He's, he's huge. Huge. And huge he was investor a, on it, too. Yeah, he was a huge early supporter. Yeah. Huge. I mean, he was, he was around in like, like 12 or 13. And a lot of these guys were. Um, but creating that trust, using code as trust, and now changing value and that value could be privacy oriented it could be information that i want to send to mike this is my pertinent information or whatever it is and i can send that over to mike and the code can verify that and now yeah. it's no longer a central entity in the middle and that's where we can take that that's what crypto is about um and and that you know it's it gets a bad rap because yes it was born in a bad place and it was attached you know there's been a lot of fraud attached to it you know we see uh, fraud at coin me and we battle that on a daily basis um you know you you had the uh with the silk road that's how they used you know they used bitcoin to exchange things well the funny part is yeah US, the underground market the black market the black market the u.s government has stepped in and said criminals please use bitcoin because they can actually track if you go from address to address they can track your ip and they can basically get an idea of where you're operating at and then and then come up with outside solutions to find out who you are so if you're a criminal and you're using bitcoin dumb choice because the fundamental benefit to using crypto and and the blockchain is that it's a it's it's an uneditable footprint right i mean is that a fair way to put it like immutable immutable yeah, immutable can't be, yeah. can't be changed you can't go back yeah. in time yeah once the transaction's been settled it's been settled for good you can't yeah you can't reverse the blockchain so to speak right well um that's awesome i mean i think i think there's a lot to uncover here in the next hour so i'm excited to kind of dive in a little bit more what did you want to what did you want to say in relation to the hacker here what 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 is the new update oh i think it's just that um we, we kind of alluded to this even in the in the episode that we talked about that hacker and i gave that story there's far more companies involved here as many as 30 more companies uh data were breached in addition to the capital one uh data that was there they found basically additional uh pieces of information on her personal server that she had in her home. Um, and that was just announced here recently. So a little bit of an update to that. We kind of knew, I know Ford is involved, for instance, mm -hmm. in addition to Capital One and a number of other pretty big name uh, companies. So just a quick update on that. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting too, when you talk about just the decentralization, this wasn't a very sophisticated hack. I mean, this is somebody that had access to uh, Amazon servers 
that it wasn't really a hack necessarily. It was just that it was kind of like an uh, like a, tro- a Trojan horse kind of a thing, right? Like access from inside. Um, it wasn't a, a big, sophisticated security breach. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the details. Uh, you know, I'm not the technical person to look to to how was it done or, or or even give insight to that. But I can say that when you know my piece is when I look at the financial world. If you look at Amazon, Microsoft, and Google and some of their profits and earnings statements lately, they've been through the roof because the margins on their cloud business is big time. I mean, it's huge. It's, yeah. it's, it's huge. It's it, you know, in excess of 30%. Um, you know, Amazon doesn't make a whole lot of money selling goods. They make, right now they're making more money by, through their cloud services. And if all these companies are using these cloud services and they have vulnerabilities, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the Trevor Trove of information for hackers. I, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, we, you know, the, the, the good of me says, well, I hope Microsoft and Google and, you know, all these data centers are, are doing the right thing and, and implementing the right security. But obviously we can see that, you know, somebody that actually worked and I think she worked in and around Amazon at some point or, or in the cloud business. And, and, you know, she had access to those right points to go get that Trevor Trove information so that she could that's, do that's, whatever she wanted with it. That's the problem. And I have to say, like, cloud is the most secure way. I mean, it is, it is uh, scary to think that it is so centralized. But I know just from our own experience here and with compl- various compliances that we are subject to, I mean, we even have, like, just on our some of our most basic software systems, you know, we only have rights to do certain things that are right in our purview. Like I can't go in and view transactional tables anymore and do all these things. And so I think it's completely secure. I mean, it's, it's way more secure than you would have if you're trying to maintain it on your own, but it's scary because of the sheer volume of what's out there. And so if there is a vulnerability, even if it's a very minute one or a very small one, it's still a pretty impactful one. That's the scary part about it. I feel and I think like. the outside hackers are less of a concern for these big cloud companies. I think they, you know, if they can do something, they're going to do it. They're going to protect it in the best possible way. I mean, they have tons of security experts that are dealing with this constantly. Right. Uh, it's, it's exactly the situation where you have somebody who has some sort of inside access. It's the insider hacks that are very, very scary to these companies. Because, yeah, once you're in, now you're in big trouble. But the good thing I would say, though, is that I feel like just from our experience the last six months here, is that there's a big effort underway right now to even make that more difficult. It's not like now if you're in, you're in wholesale. It's like if you're in, you might have one corner of one pocket of something, right? I mean, that's very re- the access is very restrictive. Um, but but nonetheless, like I think it, it makes a case for decentralization anyway because that's the most secure way. Because if you do get something, you might get ones or twos, but you're not going to get millions. Absolutely. Yeah. And in this case, I think she had access to a, like a bucket of data. Yeah. And so whatever was in that bucket, she had access to. And so Ford and Capital One and whomever were in that particular bucket, that's what she got access to. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We got a good crew on Facebook today. I want to give a shout out to everybody. We've had um, double digit view, viewers um, on right now. I can't see everybody that joined, but yeah. we've got some coworkers. I've got some, some of my homies from uh, the Midwest. Shout out to Columbus, Nebraska. They're Seepers online. So that's cool. And if you have any questions about uh, Bitcoin, fire them away yep. and we'll get them answered here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jump on the chat. This is our Bitcoin crypto episode with our guest Brent Lyman with uh, CoinMe. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the company and like what you do? I'd be curious to know a little bit about that. 
Yeah, sure. So l- let me start out with the, the company first. Uh, it was founded by Michael Smyers and Neil Burkwest in 2014. Uh, Neil was working for an incubator here in Seattle, and Michael was actually one of the lead tech guys at ZipWhip. And basically, Michael, instead of buying a Tesla, went out and bought a couple Bitcoin ATM machines. Oh, I disagree with that decision. Oh, yeah, that would offend Mr. Tesla over here. <laughs> <laughs> you could have been the Bitcoin guy, man, you, but you had to buy a fucking Model 3 instead. Well, wow, that's a whole different discussion because I'm definitely short Tesla right now. Um, oh, man, we're going to have to get into that at some point. I'll leave a little window for that. It's going to be me. another episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you know, Michael bought these machines on a whim and, and you know, took him to obviously realized when he had these three machines, he didn't, he knew the technical beast, but he didn't know the rest of it. And one of the things that they wanted to do from the get-go is do it right. Well, to do things right in the the United States, you need to start the state level. So what Neil did is he had good uh, connections down Olympia and went down Olympia and basically updated the 1980 money transmitter laws to include virtual currency and helped them write a virtual currency license here in the state of Washington. Uh, We were, CoinMe was actually the second company to get a virtual currency license right behind Coinbase, uh, literally two days after Coinbase. So once they had the license, they put the ATM machines uh, out in the wild, so to speak. Uh, the first one was in Vancouver, Washington. And the point of the, the, the ATM machines, one of the things, way they grew is they wanted to focus on actual safe retail environments. So if you look at a lot of Bitcoin ATM companies, especially I would say skeptical companies at best is they're in some dingy, nasty gas station or maybe it's a strip club or something and they're way in the back and it's like, do I, I got to stick my ID in this. It's going to take a picture. Is my ID going to come out? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of intimidating because you're, you're putting your property in this machine. Mm. So one of the things that Neil focused on was actually putting the ATMs in, uh, you know, basically leasing mall space. Uh, you know, South Center's a, a good um, mall right here, south of Seattle, big, big time mall, high end stores. And sticking to that kind of philosophy, basically, you've got a lot of customers in a, in a place that you're, you feel safe in an environment that, to put money and your ID and, and go through the KYC process so that you basically you can put in a hundred bucks in a machine and get Bitcoin out of it. That simplest fact. The other piece of the ATM is that's how we're familiar with money, if you think about it. You know, we've, I remember a time when ATMs were a little sketchy, but now they're absolutely accepted and everybody really knows how to use one. They'll even deposit money on them and withdraw and, and do a lot of banking in general on them, even transfer between accounts. So now you can actually use this ATM type of model to stick money in it and actually get your Bitcoin and it's on a receipt and you're directed to your wallet and your wallet is your, your ability to interact, inter- basically interact with the blockchain and that's where your Bitcoin is stored. Um, it started as that we grew the network um, to about 100 machines, and then uh, right as I came on the company uh, in 2018, they were focused on how do we scale this company? How do we really get a lot of machines out there? And right across the quote unquote Lake Washington or pond, I call it, is Bellevue, and that's where. Uh, Coinstar is located. Well, we all know mm. Coinstar. A lot of us have grown up with that machine. Yeah, we've all thrown change in it at some point and gone to the retailer and, and gotten our dollars worth or fifteen dollars. Or if you're like me, you saved every penny for five years and got 
you know, about a hundred bucks worth. And we're pretty proud of yourself. I go and get my Amazon gift cards out of those things, man. That's what I (laughs) usually do. So in 18, they they brought on Amazon gift cards, but the board was pushing for um, Coinstar to get in the crypto business and offer Hmm. Bitcoin. Well, we were local. We forged that relationship. Uh, After about a year of discussions, we ended up partnering with them this year in January. And what's great is when we roll out a machine now, we don't have a physical unit. We've got to buy We've got to basically make sure that everything's, you know, up and running in it, ship it to a mall or ship it to a retailer and install the unit ourselves. Instead, we just click a button and we, when we click a button, we can click 300 at a time, 400 at a time, 500 at a time. So we went from 100 units. Now we're up to about 2,600 uh, Bitcoin ATMs across the United States. And Coinstar has about 20,000 machines across the globe. They've got a good, I think it's like, eight to 10,000 in the United States. And so our goal is to build out the rest of the United States to where 95% of Americans have a Bitcoin ATM machine within five miles of them. Yeah, any Safeway or any grocery store Safeway, you can find Kroger's, one. Kroger's, Giant, Albertsons, yeah. you know, QFC. The, again, safe places. Yeah. Safe places to go buy your Bitcoin. It's very easy. The transaction's very easy. You walk up, you put your money in it. It spits out the Bitcoins, which are basically a, a receipt to where you're directed to your CoinMe wallet. From there, you go in the wallet. You do have, if it's your first time user, you do have to go through a KYC AML because, again, we did things first. We are a licensed company. Um, we've got to basically do a background check real quick on you to make sure you're a good actor. And, w- and once we establish you're a good actor, you're, you, know, you go redeem those Bitcoins and they're sitting in your wallet. And you can send them anywhere in the world. You can do anything you want with them. You can put them in cold storage. You can sit on them and invest in them. You can, you can do just about anything you want with them. And it, it's an easy transaction method. And it's really just an easy, what, what it's called an on-ramp in the business. And then what I was brought in to help build was private client services. So what we do is larger transactions. So we'll do anything north of 25,000 up to, shoot, we've done uh, about $10 million transactions. So it's, 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 you know, uh, there's different levels of investing. Uh, we also have a custody solution. So if you want to say, hey, Brent, I want you to custody my Bitcoin. I want you to take care of it. I want you to make sure it stays safe. Great. I've got a solution for that. Um, maybe you're a miner in, this, in the ecosystem. And what miners do is they get awarded Bitcoins on a daily basis. But the problem is they can't pay their lease. They can't pay their, their uh, you know, property. They can't buy more machines a lot of times. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Uh, they can't pay payroll. They can't pay for all the, the, the copper tubing or the electrical work that they need. They can't pay for any of those things, usually with Bitcoin. They've actually got to use dollars. So we help them convert it to dollars so that they can uh, put that on the profit loss statement and actually you know, put those dollars to work and, you know, as a CapEx spend or, or whatever they're going to use it on. Um, and then you know, there's just the, uh, you know, in 2017, uh, we saw ICOs big time in the space basically uh you create a company you create an idea you write a white paper and you put it out there and and you say uh instead of going after vc money or traditional private money you actually go out to a public crowd across the globe and and how they invest in your your company is actually through coins bitcoin ethereum with the top coins that usually you got and for that you actually issued a coin of yourself and a lot of these ICOs ended up scams, but some of the ICOs that are in the market are good companies. Brave is a, a great company that's in the market. 
there's a lot out there, right? Because I know there's like XRP is a big one that I've heard of. Yeah, XRP, um, which is, um, yeah, it's called Ripple. Um, they have a technology where basically they're enhancing the, the, the quote unquote SWIFT system that the banking system uses. So when you go do a wire, you're actually going through SWIFT. I don't remember exactly what SWIFT stands for, but it was it was written back in the 1970s. And, and all it is is, is uh, all it is is really a, a message to another bank that says, hey, Mike is sending X amount of dollars to Brent's bank mm-hmm. is all it is. Um, but it it's, was, a, it's a protocol that's accepted by all the banks. I mean, that's like the international standard for. Yeah. And it's it really just a messaging system at yeah. the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the, so all these companies raise all these funds. Well, they need, they need to turn them into us dollars at some point. Again, it goes back to payroll office space, paper, pens, computers. You can't pay for it. Really a lot of it in Bitcoin. So what they needed to do was turn them into us dollars. So that's kind of one the private client side, what we help out with. Uh, we help out token founders. We help out miners. We help out high net wealth, wealth, wealth investors. And then there's a good portion of the, uh, a business in the United States that actually uses Bitcoin as a payment rail. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that is, you know, if you want to buy goods from Japan, China, uh, Canada, anywhere across the globe, Bitcoin's a really easy way to buy those goods. And, and, and basically make, create that commerce or that transaction with that company that's across the water. Because it's accepted now in, in many countries. Well, it's transaction cost. Yeah, they it's, don't pay that fee, if, right? If the, if the, yeah, if the company is willing to accept Bitcoin or maybe it's a stable coin or whatever it is, the transaction cost is minimal. You can send, um, you can send hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin for 39 cents. If you do that through a banking system, it's going to cost you upwards of twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Wow! Do that. So huge savings there if you're doing it that way. Correct. So that's 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 so that's the currency part, the ability to exchange value between two parties, whether they're companies or individuals, and not only do it and have computers verify the transaction, not a central authority at all, but more importantly, the transaction cost is minimal. And, and it's instantaneous on top of that. There's no delay. Well, the generally, right? Well, the blockchain has to verify the transaction, so there is a, a slight delay depending on what cryptocurrency you're using. Some are faster than others. Like, okay. Like for instance, Litecoin is considered the silver of, of cryptocurrency world. That's the nickname it's been given. It's got a faster transaction rate than Bitcoin does. But Bitcoin is obviously the one everybody knows and it's more accepted. Interesting, man. So um Great. Thanks for the intro on that. That's really cool, man. I, I know we've talked about it a lot and I just thought like there's I, even at work, you know, in our group here, I feel like that even as technologists and as tech people, I think that there's just a lot of misinformation and just people aren't really sure like what it is or how it works. You yeah. Know? We've built kind of a unique model. There's, there's, you know, the Coinbase's, the Gemini's, the Binance's of the world, you know, they've built platforms and those platforms are, are mostly just exchanges. You can go out and, and, and sign up with them and, and the sign up process is usually pretty arduous. It takes a little while. You'll send them money. They'll wait two or three days to credit your account. If you want to make a transaction today, and there's a, for instance, there's a gentleman uh, that runs a think space right downtown. He needed a transaction today. We got him he entered his information with us. We got him onboarded. We got him enrolled. His money was sent to us. 
and we had him in the Bitcoin by the end of the day. So we we really can do practically same day service. And that's wow. the unique piece of this is you have somebody, if you call me, you have a you have my direct number, you can text me, you can email me, you want to talk Bitcoin, you want to ask questions, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? You know, should I go to BlockFi and give them some of my Bitcoin so I can earn an interest rate? You know, what's this coin all about? You've actually got somebody now that you can call up and have a discussion around cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. And I'm just going to give you the facts as I know them. I don't know everything. This space is, it's open source. Every, every, all the technology is open source. So it's almost like a Cambrian effect that's going on. And it's, it's developing so fast. And the talent is dropping into the space so fast. Uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people running from banks and, and current financial institutions right into the space to develop all kinds of crazy new technologies. And, and because what we have here is programmable money and, and really the who knows where we end up in 10 to 20 years. But the, the, the ability that you have with CoinMe is, in, in especially the private client side, is you've got somebody you can call. And very simply, we, we consider it human touch in a digital world. It reminds me very much of the original tech boom because you had people that were talking about internet. And I think very much in the same way, people didn't really grasp what it was and they were trying to compare it to something that didn't really exist. You know, it doesn't exist in the same way anything else did previously. And so you're making these comparisons, but people were just like, I know I need to sell shit online. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to sell shit online. So let's get going. (laughs) Everything had to go online. And I lived through that. I traded through that. You know, I remember when every, you know, Every single thing had a .com after it. Like, yeah. This is the thing. .com. .com is. Pets.com. We know that what happened to that IPO, it crashed. And now we've got Chewy.com, which, which was the old Pets.com doing the same thing this year. It yeah. just IPO'd. Does that mean we're at a top again? I don't know. But the, the problem with crypto, and this is one of my arguments, is we are always trying to compare it to like what we knew, which is the internet and how it right. exploded. That's right. I don't think we can. I think it's going to go faster and farther than we anybody can really put any great thought to. And that's because it's open source, that Cambrian effect that I'm talking about. But more importantly, we're not now changing, you know, we changed communication. We can now text, email, Slack, Telegram. How many other channels do we need? You know, right. I, I, I can think of a million of them. Telepathy. We're going to get a chip. We're going to get chipped. Yeah, we're just going to read each other's minds. Yeah. Walkie-talkie on your watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Walkie-talkie mode on the watch. <laughs> we were using that earlier. Rain's on uh, Facebook, but he hasn't accepted my request yet. So oh, I would really much, cool. I'd very much appreciate that. So I now can. you got with the internet, you've changed information. Yeah. I can be in a discussion with my boy Slayer. And if I don't like what he's saying, I can Google fact, him, fact check him real quick. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. You know, this, we basically, what my first laptop was is now sitting in my pocket yes. with a camera on top of it. Amazing. Awesome. So now we're into Bitcoin and trust. So now, in my opinion, what we're doing is building another internet layer that we're going to change the way we transfer value and the, and the way we trust technology. Now, how that ends up, I have no idea. Yeah. I wrote about a little bit in my newsletter today. I don't know how we end up, but we are going to change things. That is a fact. So can we pull this back up just like a, a higher level? Just because like I know, for instance, my mom listens. 
she's probably on here. My sister's on. Um, people that may not be as familiar with, with Bitcoin or any of these coins, because we're throwing out a lot of terms and we're throwing out a lot of acronyms and different companies and that sort of thing. But like at a very, very, very high level, can you give a, an explanation of what Bitcoin is and why it is that you might want to use it? So at a very high level, so this, I wrote about this today. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about impossible to talk about it. Right. But Bitcoin is an invention. So think of it like the internal combustion engine. When the internal combustion engine came around, we were riding around in horses and carriages. And when people saw the first car with wood wheels and it got stuck on the side of the road and the horse had to pull it out, they thought, ah, this will never work. Now, 100 years later, where are we at? Actually, over 100 years later. There's a car on every road. Just about everybody owns one, uses one in some way, shape, or form. We've got airplanes running through the air. We've got motorcycles. Just about everything runs in some way, shape, or form off an internal combustion engine, including generators. Bitcoin is an invention. Bitcoin, that going back to that Byzantine general's problem, it's changing the way we trust how we move value. And so it's an invention. Um, it's an asset. It's a currency. It's a philosophy, it's game theory, it's a network, it's security. And this is where the, the, the problem gets real complex of what is Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is, is a lot of things to different people. So for instance, Hong Kong right now is, there's a lot of chaos in Hong Kong. We've seen a lot of protests. We've seen them on, on news a lot. Well, what's the best way to get your money out of Hong Kong right now, if you needed to. Right now, it would be, it would be a, crypt, a digital currency. It would be converting your quote-unquote fiat. When I say fiat, it's, a fiat is a government-backed currency, very much like the U.S. dollar. Over there, they have the yen. So if we take the yen and we convert it to Bitcoin, now I can move that around the globe however I want. I can stick $100 million in a USB device, put it in my pocket and I can jump on an airplane. I can't do that with dollars. I can't do that with gold. I can't do that with any other asset. And that's where the, some of the power, and so this is where Bitcoin can go off on in various tangents, but to keep it at a high level, to understand Bitcoin as an invention. Now how it's, when, when the internal combustion engine came around, or when the email came around, or when the internet came around, these inventions, we didn't really know how they were going to impact society as a whole. We knew they were going to impact, but we didn't know what exactly. A lot of people had a lot of speculation. And now we've seen what the internet's done. We've seen what email's done. We've seen what the internal combustion engine has done. Bitcoin is do going to do something very similar. It's just a matter of what it does. Part of the challenge, the, too, around that. The one, thing, the one thing I want to add to this real quick mm -hmm. is the difference between Bitcoin and those other inventions that I'm talking about, you, you couldn't really invest in internal combustion engines. I mean, you can invest in Ford when they came along or the manufacturers, et cetera. Email, uh, unless you were, you know, Draper and you in invested in one of the uh, first uh, email companies or, or uh, like, like Netscape, you know, you could have taken advantage of that or, or maybe jumped on Google because you knew what they were going to do. Internet, you, couldn't, you could buy it, but you couldn't really in, invest in it. Bitcoin is a protocol that you can actually invest in. You can own a part of the network. 
And that's the, the key piece of this, is that this trust piece that I'm talking about, this invention that I'm talking about, if you want to, you can go out and just own a little piece of it. And I'm not an advocate of saying you need to put 50% of your wealth in yeah. Bitcoin. But I am an advocate of saying take a few dollars that you don't care if you lose and go own a part of the network because at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's like a vote um, for the network. It's saying, you know what? We've created something. I don't know who created it, but they've created something pretty darn cool. And I'm just going to put a little money in here and let it sit. And I'm going to own part of that network. Well, I think in general, like, and this is not financial advice, but you always look at portfolio balance and you figure, yeah, some percentage, I want a little higher risk. Um, and so whatever that allocation is, like this could be a part of that, what, five, 10, 15% of your portfolio that you're not going to miss it if you lose it, but you could also have a lot of upside if it goes well. There's a ton of upside and that a lot of people, um, they get caught up. Well, you know, Bitcoin ran to 20,000 and, and you know, it's never going back there again. We're almost there right now. We're sitting at, I think just shy of 11 just just earlier today. Yeah. 11, seven. I mean, it's still super early in this asset class. The SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, the U.S. government, has come out and said, this is a brand new asset class. They've deemed it property. So here's a brand new class. It's digital. It's 100% digital. It's not an electronic record like your bank account where you've got a bank moving around ones and zeros. This is a completely digitized asset and all i impose or or try to ask on people is if you're truly open go out and own part of that network because it's right now we're 200 billion dollars if a company were to like amazon or microsoft or google or anybody were to go out and build this type of network it would take hundreds of billions of dollars and we're already at 200 billion dollars it will be a multi-trillion dollar network someday well in my opinion. and i think i think you made a pretty good case for it as far as going to your local grocery store and depositing some coins into a coinstar machine i mean it's very low risk very low barrier to entry there just to have some some percentage of bitcoin very easy to accomplish that you've got to look at it as an ownership and a network and a network that humanity can trust outside the banking system outside of government sponsored money which is what the u.s dollar is outside of carrying around a rock in your pocket like gold it's just part of of what is the the next form of and probably the hardest money ever invented because you can't bitcoin they can't take away from you because only you own it only you have it only you know where it is and as long as you have the public address and you have the private key nobody can take that from you they can't I'll give you, for instance, many, many, many times over over the term of history, governments have come in and said, we're at a deficit. We need money. They go raid bank accounts. They tax you in some way, shape, or form. We fortunately live in the United States. Amazing system. Uh, Inflation level is about 2%. But if you woke up in Argentina literally two weeks ago, you're 25% poorer than you were the previous day. And that's because you own the Argentino peso, which literally lost 25% of its value in one day. That's a risk 
that you take in that country, those people accept that, they know it. There's, that's also a reason that they try to convert a lot of their pesos into U.S. dollars and literally bury them in the backyard. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Now, kind of, again, going back to, to, to Bitcoin, it's if you own a piece of that network and if everybody owns a little piece of that network, ideally demand is going to go up. And when you get these pri crazy price increases in Bitcoin, it's because you need to look at the economic model of Bitcoin. It's built in the code. It's already pre-written. So next year, we've got a huge event coming up, May of 2020. Bitcoin will have what's called a halving event. And that means the miners that are out com basically completing a math problem or an algorithm to verify transactions on the network. And when they verify all the transactions on a block, they get awarded Bitcoin. Well, they're going to get their award is going to be cut in half. So that means the supply that's awarded on a daily basis is going to be cut in half in May 2020. Yeah, it's, it's interesting I went on that note because it's unlike other things. Like we talk about fiat currency and how it in a recession will print more money. But Bitcoin's the opposite. Like you start out in the beginning with the most available, right, up front, and then it's logarithmic. So over time, the amount that's available decreases, increasing the actual value of the currency. Yeah, the amazing piece of Bitcoin is it actually went from 30 cents to a dollar. Hmm. The, the fragility in the start, the fact that it got going out of nowhere that it started with just two people and exploded, not really exploded, but grew from there. That was the, that was the fragile part. Now it's 10 years old. Every 10 minutes, as we've been speaking, another 10 minutes, there's another block that's been awarded to somebody. It's 10, you know, basically it's, 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 10 minutes older is what it is. Right, right. And it, so every 10 minutes, it grows stronger. That's crazy. So what does the next 20 years look like? And again, this is the most secure network in the world. We were talking about hacks through Capital One. The Bitcoin network itself has never been hacked. Ever. Now, what has been hacked, and you hear about hacks in crypto all the time, are the exchanges. Because those are centralized entities where you're holding your coin on an exchange where your coin's vulnerable to the attacker. Yeah, it's on a central server somewhere that, that's accessible over the internet. But the network, the Bitcoin network itself is made up of a bunch of independent computers. It could be Mike in his basement with four or five miners. It could be Brent who owns a small farm in, in central Washington. It could be a lot of things. And there's some big companies in China and there's some big companies in the United States and there's big companies all over the world, but they're independent of each other. I want to get to something because we've got, what, about 15 minutes left-ish, 20? Yeah. Holy smokes, I've been rambling. About 20. You're doing great, man. I, this has been very informative for us, so don't feel bad about that at all, but I just have other things I wanted to ask you about. And what, there's a couple, a couple points. Um, I think one is just that, like, I think you've done a, a really good job of establishing how uh, the decentralization of, of this technology, uh, the value of that, and, and how um, secure it is. And to challenge that a little bit, like, I just wonder, oh, this is, this is interesting. Um, I do want to get to Dave's question here too. So I got two things. The first question I want to ask is just how do you, um, the Bitcoin clearly has its own fidelity. And I think it's, it, 
that's fine. But what do you do when you want to go to fiat? Like, what if there was a recession? Or what if the U.S. government and the banking system somehow said, like, well, we reject Bitcoin and we don't give a shit and we're not going to exchange your Bitcoin for fiat? Like, what, what do you do in that case? Like, do you go to other go to Mexico? I mean, how do you get how money well, out of it? Well, a couple, couple things are in decline there. The government doesn't have that choice. The companies that are operating in that space have that choice. Okay. So if you want to change it to fiat, you're dealing with a company like Coin. Chase or, or you guys. Yeah, you're dealing with a company. You're not dealing with the U.S. government. So unless the U.S. government comes in and shuts down all the fiat on-ramps slash off-ramps, which I highly doubt they do because they the federal system hasn't even laid out regulation for this yet. Most companies are regulating under state legislation right now, okay. which are money transmitter laws. The other piece of that would be just regulatory arbitrage, which goes, which is going on across the globe right now. So there are anywhere from Malta as a small island, Vietnam is embracing it, Singapore is embracing it. So if the United States decides not to embrace it, they are going to be light years behind in, uh, I would say, just technological innovation as a whole when it comes to the the finance side or and the finance innovations because the the Asian community as a whole is embracing it, except for China a little bit. Most of the Asian community, if you look at Vietnam, Singapore is, is two of the biggest ones, they're embracing it. Their regulators want it. They understand that this is, it, it, it can do a lot. It has the chance to do a lot of things. Now, I will go beyond that and say that regulatory bodies, like if you look at the CCP in China, they're looking at creating their own digital currency. So, mm. so that says a lot of validation right there. If you look at f- now and and top of it, you're looking at corporations that are looking at creating their own digital currencies. Facebook and Facebook with Libra and Calibra, the the uh, wallet that they're going to create. Um, Walmart has been awarded a patent on a stable coin. I fully expect Amazon to come out with something. Matter of fact, that when they first came out, I think it was like ten or fifteen years ago, they tried something. Um, I fully expect them to come out with something and, and, and to go into their ecosystem, you'll exchange one cryptocurrency for the other. And you'll, at, at some point you're going to do it and you're not going to realize it. It's just going to be, you know, the, the technicals or the back end of the piece. You really won't know it. You're going to buy that thing on Amazon realizing you're not even using cryptocurrency. And, it, and it's all about transaction cost. That's what it's going to reduce. And I think that's huge because, yeah, you think about it now, like you said, if you're doing a transaction of a certain magnitude, twenty, thirty thousand dollars is a lot of money, uh, even even though, it, you know. Well, all we have to do is, is look at the financials for Walmart or Amazon and think about and they probably got better deals than three percent. But let's say let's just t- talk about the three percent merchant fee that most small businesses pay. What are Amazon and Walmart paying? That's a lot of yeah, dead money. And if you look at that dead money, it's over two hundred billion dollars a year are spent on just just transacting fees, it. transaction yeah. fees. So Dave had his question here. He wanted to know: Can they ever increase the number of coins in the ecosystem? No, no. The it's written into the code: twenty one million is going to be the most amount. It's a deflationary asset right now. Um, and what's funny is is on top of that twenty one million. Right now, it's estimated four million are lost. Wow! And because people are, frankly, we all know people are stupid and they lose <laughs> things. I know I'd, I I've lost things in the past. USB it, key with a million bucks, man. <laughs> but but if you, they, that's that's happened. You lose that private key, 
you can't access. You can't just, you can't. You There's try, no going back. There's not calling, nobody calling up Bank of America saying, oh man, I lost my password. What do I do? I need to get access to my bank account. No, it's gone. Yeah. It's if you history. don't have it, you can't recover it. You cannot go get it. It's not like uh, we were talking last week where you can bring your dirty bills that the dog, you know, pooped on or whatever, like house burned down. They have a whole division in the, in the treasury to, to like reconstruct bills and reissue bills. Not so much with Bitcoin. You lose that, you lose that uh, wallet. You lose that USB. You're, you're done. You're host. You're toast. Um, how you doing, man? You have any questions over there? No, I'm good. There's another question on here that uh, like basically asking, should you treat, treat this as like an investment? Say like your 401k or, or, or any other type of investment? 100%. And the way I look at it from an investment standpoint, it's like portfolio insurance. So here's a fun fact. If you had f- five years ago, and you've got $100,000 in your 401k, and I'm just using numbers, and you kept 90% of it in cash, 90% in cash, and you just put 10% in Bitcoin, you'd have a better return over the last five years than if you would have put 100% of that in the S&P. Wow. Which, which is the benchmark. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> 10%, so, which is not a... So, so there's something called alpha and beta in the finance world. And alpha is basically your returns and beta is your risk. So you would have lowered your beta because 90% of your money would have been in cash. So your risk would have gone down and your return actually would have been better. Yeah, that's impressive. And that's really, I mean, yeah, that is pretty low risk when you think about 10% of your portfolio. And, and if you have uh, IRAs, um, there are options on investing in Bitcoin. Uh, there's, there's, there's GBTC that you can look into. You can also, if you've got a self-directed IRA or you've got qualified funds, you can put them in a, a self-directed IRA and actually buy the asset itself. You know, feel free to contact me if you want more information, but I can help you guide through that. But it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not really about like owning a lot. It's about just owning a little bit. Yeah. And so what, what are you personally doing? Can you speak a little bit to that? I mean, you're pretty bullish on this. I know just from talking to you, but I'm super bullish, so I, you know, from a percentage standpoint, I own a good chunk. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's the trade of my lifetime. I, I, I just understanding the economics behind it, the fact that there's only 21 million coins, it's, it's a deflationary asset. Um, or, you know, I talked about the having event when demand, basically when supply goes down and um, demand goes up, we know what it should happen to the price. Uh, the other piece that I part, you know, and there's many pieces of my thesis, but institutional investors are coming. Uh, some of the slowest adopters to this technology is going to be pension funds. It's going to be um, just large institutions um, that gain access. And that's starting to come on this year. These institutional infrastructure are starting to come on. Um, Bact announced, Bact is a, a company that was created from the owners of the NYSE. They're coming out with a Bitcoin settled futures market. Um, it's extremely exciting because at the end of the day, if you ride the contract out, you're going to be settled in not cash, but you're going to be settled in Bitcoin, which means that's going to, co- it, it's going to drive demand at the end of the day. Um, but the institutions, they're, they're freaked out over custody. You know, how do we custody this? If I want to buy and sell every day, I don't want to have to take out a USB and plug it in and have three of us get together and figure out the key and, and have to do all that. Because that, that's what an institution is. It's usually, you know, three or four people that are making the investment decisions over hundreds of hundreds of many, many of accounts. Yeah. yeah. So what's happening is institutional products are being developed 
to uh, basically allow institutional type of trading of large, large, large dollars. Wow. And that's, that's coming. It's not here. It's not been done. So, you know, the earliest adopters were technologists and what I would say fraud, um, you know, people that use things Silk Road. Um, and, and it's slowly, it's slowly moving itself from the outer edges of society right into the middle. And we are far from the middle right now. We're getting closer, but we're far from the middle. And that middle is going to be some of that wealth. And if we have a recession coming up, you know, we had, we saw the yield uh, curve uh, invert last week on, on Wednesday and saw the huge sell-off and the reaction to that. If we, we have negative rates across the globe, you've seen, um, uh, uh, bonds go from a negative yielding debt go from six trillion to sixteen trillion this year, huge numbers. Um, most likely, in the United States by the end of the year or early next year, we're going to see close to negative rates. We could see a two-year rate at 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 point five right now or one point five. Um, by the way, that started out the year I think it was a right around three percent. So we've already wow. cut in half. Wow, fifty. Yeah, yeah. So we're seeing rates come down. We're seeing a lot of craziness going around the globe and big high net wealth investors are going to look at quote unquote safe havens. Gold is an obvious one. Bonds are an obvious one. Bitcoin though could be that new piece or that new technology, that new quote unquote digital gold, even though I don't like to use digital gold because I don't think you can compare it to gold at all. But it's, it's, it's that new store of value that's come along. And is if institutions like it, if, if millennials like it, if high net wealth high net wealth investors come to it, who knows what the demand is going to be like, especially in a recession. We haven't seen Bitcoin perform in a recession in a recession yet. It was it was born in uh, two thousand eight. So you had a term that you used. And this was a conversation you and I had maybe a week or two ago, um, and I can't think of it right now. It's on the tip of my tongue. But effectively, what you were talking about is that unlike. Um, other things that react in the market, like certain stocks and that sort of thing, like Bitcoin is not correlated in the market the same way. Yep. That's the other, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Um, it's non-correlated and it's asymmetric. Okay. So it's kind of like the Holy grail of investments. And what non-correlated means is if the market goes down and Bitcoin goes up, it's non-correlated. And if you look at Bitcoin over time, and, and there's, certain, uh, there's a metric that you can put against that to figure out how correlated it is with the metric, with the, uh, with the market in general. It's at 15%. And that's 15% out of 100. Okay. So most of assets, except for gold and, and bonds, they're a little bit higher. But most assets are around 70 80%, where Bitcoin's 15%. So not only is it non-correlated, it's asymmetrical. And as an institutional investor, if you've got hundreds of million dollars and you know, whatever wrapped up in a pension and you, you want to find a non-correlated asset that can help you, help you drive returns and help offset maybe a recession, you're going to look at alternative non-correlated asymmetric assets. And Bitcoin just happens to be one of them. Yeah. At the same time that all these institutional type of products or solutions are coming online to enable those same organizations to buy in to Bitcoin. So, I mean, I'm not trying to predict the future, but there's a reason that a lot of smart people have thrown out are huge into it. price 
projections. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, McPhee throws out a million dollars every t- chance he gets. Matter of fact, he says he's going to eat his dick if he doesn't. Wow. <laughs> we'll have to uh, have a little follow-up on that one, huh, Kyle? That... We'll put a little bleep in on that one. <laughs> Beep. We got the explicit rating. We're fine. That's fine. We told people up front. I, um, I, on a, not a final note, but on, on a follow-up note to that, what would you say to the naysayers that would say something like, too, like just looking at this year, you know, like Bitcoin compared to S&P this year alone, not looking very favorable. I mean, there was a, it was very volatile this year. So you started out the year at like, what, 20? Where do we start? 25 and then went down to like three. Well, it's down to three in December. Yeah, it had a pretty, a pretty epic fall. It had a volatile 12 yeah. months. But I, so this year, I think it was pretty low. So if you want to look at 2019, it's up well over 200% this year. Okay. The S&P's up, I think, 15% right now. So, so just looking like year to date, not year to date, right just now. like from the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe year to date, you could did say. It, did it, and what I think what you're speaking to is, did it have a drawdown last year? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, is yeah. it a volatile asset? Yes. It's only 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. Volatility is good. Yeah. You, a lot of people can't stomach that. They can't understand it because they're focused on tomorrow or next month or next quarter. You can't focus on that. You, if you look at Bitcoin, again, over the last five years, just in the last five years, let's cut it, let's cut time in half. It's been around for 10 years. But let's cut time and half to five years. Yeah. It's the best performing asset in the market, period, with an exclamation mark. Because where did it start at? Like three cents or something like that a share? Well, I'm not going back 10 years. I'm only going five years. I'm only going back to 2014. Yeah. It's still the best performing asset. And you compare it against gold. You compare it to S&P. You compare it to any bond. You compare it to any yield, any dividend stock, Berkshire Hathaway, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It outperformed it over the last five years. Yeah. Volatile, Vol- yes, but... Volatil- volatility is good. Believe it or not, it is good. Um, it, imagine gold when it first came around, what its volatility would look like when nobody knew really what it was. Bitcoin's kind of going through the same phase. But the biggest thing you need to understand is it's got a network effect. It's called the Lindy effect. So if you've ever seen the Lindy effect, it's just the S-curve, right? So it's kind of like how Facebook and Amazon, a lot of these companies take off. Bitcoin's going through the same, pro, same, same effect, basically. And when you take a logarithmic price over that S-curve, they're pretty darn correlated. Interesting. Okay. So, well, we're. I know we're out of. Here. I know we're out of time, but that's what that looks like. Bitcoin's val. Now this is a chart. We could, we, if we can get a copy of that, maybe. Yeah. We could put post that on our yeah. uh, show. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And ba- effectively, what you've got here is Bitcoin's value rises with adoption in time, and so you have, yeah, and that is a logarithmic curve, and you do see some volatility in there, but it does climb. It does follow the curve pretty much the whole way. I mean, there's not a really huge bottom on there. Nope. And it's, it's, it's on the same path this year. Well, and I think what you're advocating for is a long-term asset, not a short-term yeah. type gain, right? Like yeah. you, could, you could try to play the market and, and you may win. But <laughs> you, yeah. you, can, you can trade all you want. Yeah. You know, some of the best in the business try to do. But at the end of the day, um, if you look at any trading strategy versus just what they call the HODL strategy, which is hold on for dear life, <laughs> it's, HODLs worked uh, 10 out of 10 times. Well, we're coming up to about the end of the hour. I, I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, thanks so much for coming on. I, I feel like we could have done 
another hour because we just really scratched the surface. So who knows? Maybe we can schedule a follow up session at some point here down the road um, just to talk more about it. I yeah. mean, this was kind of a high level. Thanks just, for letting me gab. Just getting into it. Thanks for letting me, uh, you know, I'm pretty passionate about it. Um, I've been in and around, like I said, trading for a long time. And I just think it's one of the greatest assets that I've ever seen. And, and uh, you know, beyond that, it, it's, it's, it's just it can do so much more. We're going to make sure that we get your information out there. I know that you're on Twitter. You've got a newsletter. Um, all that information we've got, and we're going to post that online when the when the feed. So this is the live episode, and when we get the, uh, what do you want to say, when we get the recording uh, yeah. posted, we'll make sure we include all your information so people have a way to reach out to you. Um, so anyway, uh, thanks so much for joining us, Brent. And that's a quick wrap. I can't believe we're through the hour already. I wish we had a little more time. Um, anyway, uh Kyle, bring us home, buddy. Shout out to the sponsors. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Sponsor. Our artwork is provided by Yerne, the Gentle Giant. Check out more of his artwork at www.coffeecodecast.com slash gentle giant. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and email us at coffeecodecast at gmail.com. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and all of this is available on www.coffeecodecast.com. Yeah, if you like the show, jump over to coffeecodecast.com slash review and help us out with a quick review, a rating, on, or a few words of how uh, we could improve the show. As always, thanks for listening. I do want to point out, uh, Brent is at Twitter at B-L-Y, B-L-Y, as he's uh, known in the local Cri- circle here. Crypto B-L-Y. Crypto, oh, Crypto B-L-Y. Crypto, thank you. At Crypto B-L-Y. And uh, we'll post all this information on the show afterwards. So, any final words? Buy Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. There you have it. Have a good week.